Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have uh, Xinyi Marzano. Uh, She's a molecular biologist at USDA. And we're going to talk about um, RNA silencing pathways and uh, and her work. So Xinyi, thanks for coming. Thank you. Yeah, please tell me about your, I know you recently moved to the USDA. Tell me what's your work there about. Yeah, I work under uh, ARS Agriculture Research Service, which is the powerhouse for USDA research. So I focus on uh, developing tools for integrated disease management programs. I develop uh, non-chemical disease management and other pathogen detection approaches. So we use genetics, genomics, and uh, molecular biological approaches. And we focus on greenhouse production or uh, high tunnel production, uh, which are both controlled environment production. What kind of uh, plants do you focus on? So, the, or I should rephrase the question here. I actually focus on pathogen biology and pathogens we focus on tend to uh, attack dicot uh, plants. So crop plants can include uh, lettuce, tomatoes, strawberries, and beans or peas, all the dicots. So we work on uh, understanding the pathogen biology and the mechanisms of plant resistance. And what is a monocot versus a dicot again? Yeah, dicots are uh, the ones that uh, produce dicotyledon. So, like, say, if you grow your beans from home with with paper towels, then you will see two leaves coming out. And they are the dicots versus uh, rice or other grass species or corn that they are monocot. Also, the first green shoot that comes out of the seed, it'll be either one or two shoots. So the ones that come out with two are dicots. Ones that come out with one are monocot. Yeah, they have two colorlidons. So the pathogens we work on mainly attack those plants. And so white mold or gray mold, they focus on attacking those crop plants. And they cause a great great loss in yields annually. Okay. So yeah, these two molds, the white and the gray mold, um, I guess these are fungi. And where do they come from? Like, where do the spores come from to make the mold if you're in a greenhouse or a controlled environment? Right. They can be brought in through, you know, water. Because even controlled environments, oftentimes we we don't use purified water, but uh, tap water. Uh, and also air can bring in the spores. So since they are very persistent in nature, so they can just come through to the greenhouse and other controlled environments. So what happens when uh, you know, a plant gets white or gray mold? Do you see it pretty quickly and what happens to the plant? 
The plants are generally are very susceptible during their flowering time. And so the spores, mainly the sexual spores, ascospores will germinate when they are attached to the flowers, petals maybe. And so then they form uh, mycelia throughout the plants and become a systemic infection. Uh, so they can spread throughout the plants and then down to, so causing a lot of times stem rot and for white mold, basically. But for gray mold, um, botrytis, they can be dormant on fruits. And then, so when you go to do grocery shopping, sometimes you don't see them uh, moldy, but after you bring the tomatoes back or strawberries mainly, then you, after a few days, you see some gray uh, fuzzy growth. And that's a uh, gray mold botrytis. And so they can just, you know, humidity uh, increases the chance of their infection. So like when they are even in the fridge for a period of time, just a few days perhaps, then the spores can germinate and colonize the whole fruit. I thought in the refrigerator, it's usually dry. So it would make it harder for spores to, to do anything. Yeah, maybe the packaging increases the humidity because like strawberries are often housed in plastic domes or yeah, in, in their packaging. Yeah, that's so, true, right? If you leave stuff and it's in plastic, it does get moldy pretty quick. Right. Yeah, so generally speaking, the molds we are working on, they uh, lack humidity. And so what we are trying to de- develop is uh, using uh, one that is a uh, virus infecting these fungi and second, RNA silencing approach to target essential fungal genes so that they are not... Uh, able to attack plants anymore or delay the attack before you can are, consume the fruits. Are fungi studied pretty heavily or I, I don't think so. I don't hear much about them. Like um, have these fungi been sequenced? And I, I have a lot of questions about it. Um, right, yeah. Is, sure. the, is the sequence of mycelium different from the sequence of the fruiting bodies? Have you ever tried that? Well, for a genomic sequencing, the genomes are consistent. So it would be the same. And then both uh, white mold and uh, botrytis, I believe, too, uh, are uh, sequenced for their genomes. And then certainly, perhaps during different uh, growth stages, they uh, have different transcriptomes that are the genes, you know, expressed. But for the genomes, they are sequenced and maybe not so well annotated. So yes, um, they are relatively understudied and Specifically, we are interested in small RNAs. And if you are aware of RNA silencing or RNA interference, which is of both which serves as both the antiviral mechanism as well as a lot of regulatory, they play a lot of regulatory roles in um, most of the organisms. So small RNAs are not very well studied in fungi in general. And RNA silencing pathway, which is what produces the uh, smarnase, are also more understudied. So that's where we uh, focus on trying to dissect the RNA silencing pathway of these fungal pathogens, because between plants and uh, and the pathogens, it's an arms race, and then the smarnase uh, are often serving as a virulence effector. And so when we uh, determine what's important to or the function of 
the smartness, we can try to uh, disarm the fungal pathogen. So yeah, how, do, how does interfering RNA uh, or silencing RNA work? Can you give me a little bit of a, you know, some info on it? Sure. Yeah, so uh, RNA silencing is triggered by double-stranded RNA. And so in fungi, they are uh, widely infected by in a lot of different kinds of microviruses we call they are uh, fungal viruses. So viruses infecting fungi. And then so RNA silencing uh, in fungi are triggered by virus produced uh, double-stranded RNA. So when fungi senses, fungi sense the double-stranded RNA, they will uh, try to destroy the double-stranded RNA produced by the microvirus. And then, so the double-stranded RNAs are, are being chopped up into small pieces, and that's called the virus-derived small RNA. So that's a signature of RNA silencing in work as antiviral mechanism in fungi. What's mm-hmm. bad about double-stranded RNA? Does it occur in fungi naturally or only because of viruses? So the majority of the double-stranded RNAs are uh, from virus in fungi and then as well as in other organisms. So our bodies also sense double-stranded RNA from virus infection. And so it's not part of the host, if you will, that would produce a large amount of double-stranded RNA. It's a signal of uh, invasive nucleic acids. Does double-stranded RNA have um, special abilities inside of a cell? Oh, I mean, it gets transcribed into proteins. Um, you know, because of its double-stranded versus single, what special abilities does it tend to have? Right. It's mainly a replicative intermediate for virus. So, yes, it can further serve as a template for replication. But for ho- from the host or the, in our context of study, it's the fungi, which is the host for the microvirus. They sense it as uh, invasive nucleic acids, and then they will uh, try to destroy it. And, yeah. Okay. So when we disarm the fungal host with its um, essential proteins that, that are part of the RNA silencing pathway, then the fungal pathogen will be very susceptible to any invasive nucleic acids, including microviruses. Apart from there, also we noticed that uh, those essential genes, which are dicers, organots, and RNA-dependent RNA polymerases. So when some of these are missing, then uh, there's regulatory deficiency uh, in the or defects in the fungal uh, pathogen. So that's where we find their weak points that we can target. How do you prime? the plants so that they can more effectively silence the RNA from fungal attacks? How do you give it to them? That's what we are actively actively working on because recently there's finding that sometimes the either plants producing, if we can engineer plants to produce double-stranded RNA targeting the fungal pathogen or this extra external, applying external double-stranded RNA uh, on plants, and then the, the plants are more resistant to fungal attack later on. So it can be either generated by the plants itself, or we externally apply double-stranded RNA on the plants. 
as a you know protective. Well, you so just you just spray it on in a certain form, and it, it gets absorbed into the plant. Yeah, it can be either absorbed, and then I don't know if uh, people have found out the efficiency of absorption, or it can just stay on the surface and wait for the fungal pathogens to attack the plants. So maybe the timing of a spray of such a Bagosrin RNA pesticide is important so that we time, time it so well that, the, say, during the flowering time when the ascospore is about to germinate, then we can uh, suppress the virulence of the fungal pathogen by spraying. Well, instead of just spraying, why not put it in the water source? Would that work? Yeah, I think that is, can produce a lot of... Uh, uh, double strand RNA economically. I, I think that can that can be protect protective. I think that's a good thinking. Now now the question is whether double strand RNA is very stable. And that is a question we are we are asking too. And from the general understanding and, and my previous our lab's previous experience Double-strand RNA is almost as stable as double-stranded DNA, unlike you know mRNA, which is single-stranded. So it may work uh, to put it in, in water for the plants to absorb. But I think this brings up another question, how efficient that is for, for such you know, absorption uh, to into the plants. Can you make a, um, a virus-like particle and make a capsid you know, or an envelope or a membrane for the double-stranded RNA to allow it yeah, to be protected yeah. more? Yeah, that's a very creative way of thinking. We uh, do have uh, viral vectors, and we rescue microviruses that could serve as a carrier for uh, double-stranded RNA. Currently, we actually use, um, we'll try to use uh, E. coli to produce uh, double-stranded RNA. And then such a E. coli strain that's missing exonucleus 3 will not degrade double-strand RNA and instead keep it intact. And that's how we perceive that to be more um, stable than, you know, already chopped up small RNAs. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Well, there's probably a lot of vectors. I mean, do you let in pollinators? you know, like bumblebees for the tomatoes and stuff. And maybe the pollinators themselves could have, you know, the double-stranded RNA on their mm-hmm. legs. And when they pollinate, they pass it. Or, right. uh, I mean, so all right, one, so that's one, one question. Could you do that? Michael, one microvirus we are ac- actively working on, it's uh, likely to be transmitted by insects. So it's a fungal net that probably transmitting it. I say probably just because we are still in some early stage of this research. However, there's a very similar microvirus that's being studied for about a decade now uh, in China. That other lab, they uh, found out that fungal nets transmit their virus that's very similar to our microvirus. And so I think uh, it's possible to combine the two technology uh, using, say, microvirus, viral particles transmitted also by insects uh, to spread the double-stranded RNA or just simply the microvirus because we are involved in both facets of the research which are very connected like you have observed. 
because we rescue these microviruses from the environment, and then we use them to probe, if you will, to discover which RNA silencing genes are important for those fungal pathogens. So yeah, if there's somehow we can stack these two facets of research together, it will be something we can explore down the road. Okay. And I, I thought, you know, I've grown some tomatoes and some other plants in like a grow tent. And at the store, they had, I don't know, some sort of mycorrhiza that you pour into the plant's water. I did like a flood and drain system. But when I poured in this, um, you know, this beneficial fungus, it really, or beneficial mycorrhiza, it really helped the plants grow tremendously. So, I'd, I mean, from what I understand, plants all have like a rhizosphere, you know, near their roots. Wouldn't the funguses that hang out there be beneficial in protecting them against other fungal attack? Yeah, obviously, you may have done your homework on this. There are recently uh, some uh, new studies, also from the lab I referred to in China, that there are white mold infected by one particular microvirus becomes a beneficial endophyte that can promote plant growth. And so we are still testing on our uh, microvirus that's a little similar to theirs, which is the single-stranded DNA virus that's relatively uncommon uh, in a group of microviruses overall. So they found out that uh, their fungal strain that was supposedly white mold and pathogenic, now after getting infected by this single-stranded DNA virus, it's uh, promoting plant growth. And even more, the fungal strain now can infect wheat and barley, those monocots, and then promote growth and increase the yields. We are not replicating their research on those, but we also are trying to see, besides growth promotion, whether there is other mechanism, say, increasing plant resistance to later on infection. So we We've done some research and it's not published yet, but we, we can see that there is some systemic acquired resistance involved. So if we, say, prime the plants with uh, such a fungal inoculum with the microvirus, now not pathogenic anymore, not a pathogenic fungal strain anymore, if we prime the plants with that, then plants are more resistant to later on infection. And so then... We did RNA-seq and found out the, you know, the genes that are differentially expressed and mostly in the pathway of uh, systemic required resistance. Yeah, at least it's nice that you have a lot of different vectors that you could bring you know, the materials in on. You need, you know, again, through water, through spraying, through bees, maybe through ants. I mean, just all kinds of ways. So, I mean, it's, it, I have a good feeling that you'll solve this problem because there's so many angles of attack to it. Yeah. So yeah, we are being optimistic too, and then but also it's very intriguing to see how um, a microvirus may not be a backseat driver. Instead, it can uh, reprogram the fungal pathogen to become uh, non-pathogenic and even beneficial as under some condition. So to understand how we can uh, manipulate this change or transformation is the basic knowledge that we can maybe apply across board to uh, try to uh, find a tipping point when these uh, pathogens are not pathogens anymore. Well, yeah, studying these white and gray molds, I mean, what kind of viruses prey on them? 
what kind of uh, bacteria interact with them. I'm sure there's a there's a ton of interaction that happens with them. And if you can influence one of their partners, like you said, viruses to transmit some genetic material to them to turn them beneficial, or again, maybe bacteria that interact with them and will change them. Again, there's a lot of angles of attack there, you know. That's true. A recent study also published just a couple months ago by the same group in China. They found that uh, the like you described, the microbiome surrounding those primed plants are different. So that they did uh, some microbiome analysis and found that the um, functions of the microbiomes are tight, more tightly connected. So which probably contributes to uh, why uh, there's a increased growth in plants. So yes, microbiome, you know, bacteria interacting with, you know, microvirus infected fungal pathogen, which now colonizes the plants in a harmonious way, then they have a different micro microbial function overall. Yeah, have you found any beneficial fungi that would keep out the white or the gray mold? Right. Should say we are uh, focused currently focus on uh, our system, which is uh, the single stranded DNA virus we discovered through uh, metatranscriptome that uh, makes white mold longer, no longer pathogenic. So then um, we uh, utilize it to uh, help with uh, plant re- disease resistance, like I uh, described the systemic acquired resistance, uh, mainly currently in soybean and. We, we want to see if that happens to other plants as well. So we have some strawberries planting in our greenhouse and we'll do the same and sunflowers too. So see if uh, the same mechanism in plant uh, resistance apply to different crops. Okay. Well, very good. Uh, Shinyi, what, so I don't know, what's ahead for your research over the next year or two? What do you think you're going to figure out or what are you close to figuring out? We'll be doing more of a greenhouse work studies. And previously we focused on more uh, assays that's on leaves, but now we can focus on whole plant treatment. So if we uh, show that uh, the whole plant treatments are effective, uh, both for our microvirus biocontrol application, as well as our RNA silencing approach, then uh, we available tools to public. And that's uh, generally what our uh, research goals are in uh, USDA ARS, uh, that we want to be relevant to uh, our needs, the needs of our stakeholder. So working under uh, this uh, current unit, which is called uh, Applied uh, Research Technology Unit, we try to uh, develop tools that are applicable to growers and producers. Okay, very good. Well, Shinyi, what's the best way for people to find out more about your work? Where can they go? Uh, usually ResearchGate or Google Scholar. Uh, that's where people can find our publications. And uh, I'll try to post our progress on Twitter as well. All right, well, well very good. Shinyi, thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been very interesting. Thank you for having me. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? 
Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.